Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. Today, I'm here with Shauna Hahn, and we're going to be talking all about treatment of depression with a provider who has lived with depression. You are listening to Creating Wellness from Within, a podcast devoted to helping you live your best life through self-care and wellness. In each episode, we will strive to offer you actionable advice and tools to help you with your journey towards greater personal wellness. I am your host, Amy Zalmer. I am editor-in-chief of Minnesota Yoga and Life magazine and the Brain Health magazine. Additionally, I have published four books on the topic of brain injury and concussion, and I am passionate about yoga, wellness, photography, travel, and all things glittery. You can learn more about me at creatingwellnessfromwithin.com. Today, my guest is Shauna Hahn, and Shauna hails from Saskatchewan, Canada. She is a Plains Cree Indian and member of the George Gordon First Nation. She graduated from Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, Canada in 1996. She was admitted to the prestigious direct entry nurse practitioner program at Oregon Health and Science University in 2003. She graduated as a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and was awarded the Dorothy L. Johnson Award for Creativity, Innovation, and Insight in Nursing. In 2011, Shauna became a member of the National Health Service Corps for her work as a lead clinician at Central City Concern a busy downtown Portland community mental health practice. She has extensive experience treating patients with the highest psychiatric psychiatric complexity. Her patients often suffered with quad (laughs) morbidity, sorry, severe mental illness and serious mental comorbidities, trauma and substance abuse and houselessness. In her free time, Shauna has written a memoir and does storytelling through many prestigious organizations in Portland, Oregon. She's an avid dog lover, winemaker, and enjoys stand-up paddleboarding, reading, and live music. So welcome to the podcast, Shauna. I'm so excited to have you here today. Amy, it is so great to be in this space with you again. (laughs) Yes, yes. We have known each other for a few years working in the TBI world, and I'm thrilled to have you in my other world um, sharing about what you do as well. Absolutely, Amy. Well, I'll start with a little bit of storytelling, and you feel free to, uh, you know, interject whenever you like, because I think it's, you know, as women, uh, you know, we are more vulnerable to anxiety and depression than men, uh, based on some of our unique neuroanatomy, Um, you know, the same part of our brain, that anterior cinglet cortex, that's a part of our brain that makes a woman think about everything. Um, That's (laughs) You know, uh, I think that the image that we often see in the meme world is of this like complex panel with all these switches and dials or whatever. And then the contrasting images of the male brain and it's on or off, right? Yes. (laughs) I always tell people that this part of our brain is the part that's like, oh, it's my mother-in-law's birthday next week. Oh, it's the anniversary of my friend. It's my friend's work anniversary. Oh, Fluffy the cat needs her booster shot, you know? (laughs) And, and as amazing as that capability is, it can also leave us filled with self-doubt and overwhelm. Um, So my story of depression 
is a very long standing one. I always tell people that I experienced 25 years of depression, probably from age 12, beginning with like actual clinical signs of major depressive disorder and extending to age 37. And I'm 50 now. So I've been in remission from depression now for 13 years. And I would love to share some of the insights about how I got into remission from depression. But when I was a little kid, and Amy and I were just talking about this, I was, um, I am part of something called the 60 Scoop, which is a phenomenon that saw Indigenous children removed from their homes and placed for adoption in white homes. And that led to a large sense of existential depression, uh, meaning I had questions related to my existence dating back to early childhood, right? I was like, what's the point of this? And I felt like I was a very kind of heavy down kind of kid, right? And I think back on it now and I'm like, what can somebody at age four do? Like you can't, you can maybe barely competently tie your shoes. (laughs) Maybe you know how to count to 20. You definitely know your alphabet, but I'm like, but I was also doing all of these, you know, critical developmental tasks and kind of feeling down or empty or out of place. Um, you know, obviously a lot of time, a lot of people around the time that they start developing hormones, you know, and for women, again, in particular, when we start menstruating, um, you know, that premenstrual period can be very, you know, can mm-hmm. range from anything like PMS, premenstrual syndrome, to PMDD, which is a more serious variant of this uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Right. And what happens hormonally for women during that time is that when we have that drop off in estrogen, um, we also end up with an increase. And I'm kind of simplifying this, but an increase in this enzyme called monoamine oxidase. And when we talk about way back in the day, the earliest antidepressants were called monoamine oxidase inhibitors, right? I always liken this enzyme to being like a Mr. Pac-Man. And just at baseline, it is going along, eating up our serotonin, eating up our dopamine, eating up our norepinephrine, right? During the the non-premenstrual time of our month, estrogen is there to actually, I'm not sure what the analogy in Pac-Man would be, but it is stopping Mr. Pac-Man from from doing that. Yes. Oh, thank you. The ghost. (laughs) Thank you. Yep. Yep. Pac-Man's trying to get the ghosts. Yeah. Video game knowledge is always sign of a youth misspent, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) So the ghost, so estrogen is that ghost preventing Mr. Pac-Man from doing that. But when that ghost subsides or dies, right, then that Mr. Pac-Man, that enzyme can have its way with those neurotransmitters and we can have intense mood symptoms, right? Mm. And that was definitely an aspect of my life as well, having really irregular menstruation and always just feeling a little bit emotionally out of control. So over the years, just like other folks out there, you know, I did conventional routes to wellness. I um, took uh, Zoloft when I was in graduate school. And I always like to say that that I was just never a very 
uh, medication adherent, never a really good pill taker, because uh, that little blue pill would bounce from Monday to Wednesday to Friday, <laughs> which you'll recognize is not the way your primary care doctor or your psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse would recommend that you take these medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I tried Paxil. I might have tried Prozac and never had great consistency or great tolerance of those medications. Um, So I just kind of lived with all of the common symptoms that people live with, taking things too personally, feeling very perfectionistic, never giving myself any grace for flaws or failures. Um, And, you know, anytime I experienced some sort of mistake or flaw or failure, not only would I be in the spot of like, wanting to cry or feel small with shame, you know, but I would also sometimes get angry or I would just ruminate, you know, I'd wake up at night feeling bad about myself. Um, you know, all of these kinds of symptoms, you know, um, feeling often just having this sense of chronic overwhelm and stress, right? Fast forward. So we're going through this in this time. I become a mother. I go to nursing school. I, you know, um, graduate. Um, So I graduated from my uh, program and, you know, for a nurse, psychiatric nurse practitioner when I was 35 years old. Okay. Which means I told you I achieved remission from depression when I was 37. What this means is the whole first two years of my practice, as I am striving to help other people with their mental illness, depression, anxiety, or more often in my previous practice, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, substance use disorders, right? I was depressed. And depressed people also, I mean, I failed to mention this, but we have a very interesting worldview and there's this very interesting kind of pessimism that comes along with depression, right? You got to understand that there were suggestions, you know, have you tried counseling or whatever, right? And I always had an excuse. Now it's too expensive. I don't have time. I'm a busy mother, busy student, you know, et cetera. But I also had, you know, mental illness can make us lose our insight. It makes us lose our capacity to look at our own thinking. And I would look and, um, you know, with my depression and be kind of almost superior about it. I'd be like, listen, the reason you don't understand, the reason I'm so down, it's like Johnny Clash said, you know, this world's a hard place. (laughs) And if you don't recognize um, what a crappy place this world is, it's because, you know, you're, you're an idiot. You're not smart enough to recognize as the smart superior person that I am, because that's how defended our ego can get about the problem of depression. Well, gosh, well then, uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I can't help you. (laughs) So what happened when I was 35 and I'm in practice at this very spiritually demanding job was a few things. I began to realize that my cup was going to empty out really quickly unless I got support for my depression. So I began to see a counselor named Marsha, um, who is this beautiful, I just 
still have such loving feelings towards her. Have this beautiful uh, kind of middle-aged lady and just the kind that you want, very motherly, and maybe not the kind you want, but definitely the kind that I felt was best for me, this kind of energy that I needed in a therapist. And she, you know, would sit in a rocking chair with an afghan over her lap and, and help me learn how to look at my distorted thinking, you know, we call these thinking errors. And I know a lot of you guys are familiar with this mind reading going like, oh, I know what you're thinking, you know, and it's something bad because I have bad thoughts about me. So I have bad thoughts about you. Um, If then, oh, sure. I'll, you know, make that vacation plan when I have the beach body for it. Right. Um, We do all sorts of these kinds of thinking. Um, a lot of polarized thinking, what we used to call black and white thinking, what we now call polarized, which is all or nothing. It's Mm -hmm. one way, my way or the highway. And just having a lot of mental inflexibilities, right? So poor Marsha. Self-sabotaging. Oh my golly, left and right self-sabotaging, right? And, um, you know, when I think back on this time, it's so painful for me because it wasn't just... It wasn't just causing pain for myself, right? Untreated depression can impact children's development. Mm -hmm. You know, it certainly impacted my marriage. I was, you know, really unpredictable with my moods. Um, I remember once my in-laws were visiting us and they come from Canada, you know, from another country. And I was so, it was the holidays, right? And depressed people always feel worse around the holidays because we're meant to feel happy and we don't. And I slept, I took a nap in the afternoon with my children and slept so long and so hard that my in-laws and husband were apparently pounding on the door, ringing the doorbell. Uh, They couldn't get in because I deadlocked it. And I was out for the count. I did not hear them. So they finally gave up (laughs) and they went out to Chili's. So just like one more thing to feel guilty and ashamed about in the whole depression loop, right? So, um, but let's go back to 37. Marsha, Marsha helped me immensely. The other thing that really helped me, um, and I think people will cotton to this, um, service, you know, as I'm feeling so sorry for myself, (laughs) just throwing a daily little pity party, poor Shauna Han, um, you know, my patients, I would see their absolute abject, wretched suffering. And the fact that they would sleep on the cement and come in and ask me how I was doing, how they could come in. And they were never angry or jerky, um, you know, intermittently, very rarely something like that would happen. But these people come in and be sweet and kind and in in need of help. And I began to... um, I began to feel my soul be polished by the experience of bearing witness, the extreme privilege of bearing witness to people who are suffering so much. And yet, you know, they just kept trying, coming in and doing orderly things like keeping appointments or whatever. It was just really sitting quietly in a waiting room, you know, um, you know, they were doing this Herculean task of living. (laughs) And it began to um, 
shrink my ego and my ego needed to be shrunk because I had a lot of strong feelings about myself, but it also helped me put my own suffering in a pers- in perspective, right? Um, the third thing that happened, actually, well, there's four on this list. The third thing that happened is I began to be mentored by a psychiatrist at work, uh, Dr. Phil Shapiro, um, who is like a father to me. Um, And he began to school me in his model, which is called healing power. And in the healing power model, it's kind of a cognitive behavioral approach, but it's also a spiritual approach. And in this model, we have painful problems, right? And we have, and painful problems can be anything like I'm coping with depression. I have traffic I have to go to that fluorescent grocery store after work. Mm. Like there are many different, my mother died, right? There are many different magnitudes of brutal reality and painful problems, right? And he said that with this painful problems, we could apply not only a spiritual quality, and he wrote up 101 of them. Of course, any beautiful adjective can be a spiritual quality. You can be wise, you can be creative, you can be empathic, you can be compassionate, you can be mindful, you can be insightful, right? Any wonderful quality we have as human beings, we can apply to that painful problem, right? And then third, he said that we should combine that spiritual quality and a healing method to help us um, solve that painful problem. And painful problems can be solved with things like um, the Hindu idea of yoga, uh, with mindfulness, with prayer, with contemplation of spiritual literature, um, you know, with progressive muscle relaxation, with breath work, right? And he had I think 14 spiritual methods, and I'm not going to remember them or, or, or take the time to name them right now. But in combination with that spiritual method and putting, giving that traction to that spiritual quality that we're focusing on to solve our painful problem, we literally have unlimited exponential ability to help solve any problem. So when patients come to me today for treatment of depression, I always say that there are two routes to problem making, problem solving, excuse me, there's many routes to problem making, (laughs) (laughs) problem solving. One is rubber meets the road. What are we doing on a practical instrumental, you know, way to solve our problem? What are we doing? Because we do have to do things. We can't just pray. You know, it's like that old joke, the guy on the flooded roof, God, please help me. Somebody comes along in a boat, want to get in my boat. No, I'm waiting for God. Somebody comes along a horse. No, waiting for God. And God's like, what? I sent you three, three ways to to get out of this roof, this flooded roof situation. Right. So we do have to do things to solve our problems. Just like I had to get up the gumption to try Paxil and Zoloft. Just like I had to get up the gumption to go and see Marsha on a regular basis. But we also have this unlimited well of spiritual qualities. We have infinite internal healing power to help work on and heal ourselves. From a neurobiological point of view, this is really important. There is an aspect of our brain called the insular cortex. And when we look at this part of our brain in Buddhist monks, it is cool blue. There is no metabolic activity there. Um, Not a lot of sugar or um, 
oxygen are being taken into this area. But when we talk about folks who have trauma, depression, anxiety, brain injury, we end up with folks this area is metabolically hot. It is using way more than its fair share of the brain's resources in terms of that sugar and oxygen. And it is connected to something called the vagus nerve, right? Mm -hmm. And the vagus nerve has outputs that go to our heart. It has outputs that go to our gut. I always tell people, we all know that sense that um, when somebody hurts our feelings and we literally feel that pain in our heart, like it literally feels like our heart is breaking. That is the vagus nerve and the insula at work. When we have tummy upset from those, you know, anxiety, depression, trauma, brain injury, that is related to that vagal, poor vagal tone, right? It is related to that deep-seated intuition that some traumatized people get. They're really perceptive. And that is that that insula and that vagus nerve at root at uh, work, excuse me. And then when people talk about feeling empty, and that was one of my problems as a depressed person, feeling like nothing could ever fill me up. Christmas couldn't fill me up. Being a mother couldn't fill me up. Being a wife couldn't fill me up. Nothing. Being educated. I just had this chronic sense of this deep emptiness inside. Um, But once I started doing this work, of meditation. And I got lucky, Amy, the first time I meditated there in my third eye, I had it. So I got triple cherries. I gambled. I got triple cherries right off the bat. (laughs) I did not continue to get triple cherries every time I meditated. It was often like, oh, what's that bathing suit and J. Crew? What's right? Right. Yep. was often work and a struggle. And you know, every now and then I get triple cherries. But when I got triple cherries, It was beautiful. And I felt myself illuminated. Once you have that experience, you never go backwards. You never go backwards. You will always know that you have that light. That emptiness in me became a spaciousness. And I had room for people in my life. And I had room for, you know, and I had room to love other people because I loved myself self. And when I screwed up, I didn't have a dialogue about how immediately I was a bad person. And that used to be my dialogue. I had a dialogue that was like, oh, Shauna, you're human. Man, that sucks that you did that. And you kind of maybe got to eat a shame sandwich there and then make some apologies. (laughs) But, you know, I just had so much grace and light and just so much gentler with myself. Um, and so much gentler and more loving to everyone around me. Fourth, uh, I did do an anti-inflammatory diet, but that's not for this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say that I wasn't the person who recognized that I came out of depression. I had noticed a few things. I drive into work and I worked in downtown Portland from my suburb community. And I did have thoughts. I'd be like, oh, it seemed a little lighter hearted today, Shauna. Hmm, kind of looking forward to the work day to day. And I, and I did kind of see these things. I was like, wow, that's not a thought I would normally have. <laughs> but I was with a severely mentally ill woman. And we kind of had a rough go of it. She had schizophrenia. She had a lot of dissociative qualities. And um, she often spoke in, a, in kind of this odd uh little girl voice, which I kind of sometimes found hard as a clinician. Uh, But she came in one day 
And, you know, because I'd been changed and begun to recover from depression, I was much lighter, much gentler with myself, much gentler with her. And she said, Dr. Shauna, you seem really different today. Oh, wow. I know. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. Well, well, thank you for, I'm like, I I thought about it. I paused before I responded. I said, I feel different. So thank you for noticing and thank you for that kind feedback. And that was it. The, The weeks of being in remission from depression became months, which became years. And now we are going on. Uh, almost 14 years being depression free. I still get sad like everybody. I still have problems like everybody else. We're human. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. We got to love ourselves for that. This flawed, gorgeous humanity in all of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just in the few years I've known you, Shauna, you're just, you have this energy. Like, I just love being around you and talking to you. And I suspect our listeners will also feel that energy from you. Um, So whatever that triple cherry that happened in meditation, (laughs) keep that up. (laughs) Yeah. Keep it up, folks. It's not easy. It's not always rewarding as anybody who meditates knows it is not always rewarding, but it will pay its spiritual yield. I really believe that that was the piece that, um, that, you know, that in conjunction with everything else, but I really feel that that spiritual piece was the thing that put the cherry. Oh, I'm just talking about cherries a lot. Yeah. Today. Cherry on my cherry ice metaphors. cream Sunday of recovery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think anyone listening who has struggled with depression, you know, we, we understand like when you're in the depths of despair, it is so hard to find something to make you feel good, right? Like you might know that meditating is going to bring you out of it and make you feel better, but it can be so hard to get yourself to do that um, when you're in in that trying time. Um, and, you know, just having grace and knowing, okay, I can't do it today, but I'll do it tomorrow or whatever it is that you need to know, to get yourself to that next step, right? Three minutes. You guys don't, I think where people get into trouble is they think they have to sit down. They have to start at 30 or 45 minutes. Yes. I'll be honest. I did 12 minutes a day on weekdays and 15 to 20 on weekends. That's all I had time for. Yeah. It was enough. If you're having trouble getting started too, I also recommend there's so many beautiful guided meditations Mm -hmm. out there. And if it feels gross to you to say that you deserve to be loved or feels gross to you, because I think depressed people are so steeped in self-hatred. Sometimes these affirmations or these affirmative words were like, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. Yeah. I am unworthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And surprise, that's just that insulin, that vagus nerve playing a trick on you. Mm-hmm. Any, I, I know I have a thought, but do you have any suggestions um, for stimulating that vagus nerve? Oh my golly, what a good question. Thank you. And I was actually thinking about this ahead of time. You know, I work at a functional neurology clinic, Northwest Functional Neurology 
one of the cheap and easy little things you can do at home. There's actually a few things you can do. Sometimes we recommend that people gargle. Uh, just be mm-hmm. careful if you have any swallowing impairment. This might not be for you. Um, you can gargle. Um, you can do that with water. You can gargle and sing a little tune at the same time. You can just sing without gargling. That's great for your vagus nerve as well. Oh, did we lose our connection? Oh, I think we're good now. Yep, you froze okay. for a second there. But you were talking about gargling and singing. That's correct. Yeah, those are my suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have anything to add to that, I would love to hear them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and anyone you know who may be comfortable in the yoga world, om, oming is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. Getting that vib- yeah. vibration happening down there. So smart, Amy. Great idea. And then I just learned this one recently, but it's called horse lips. (laughs) So when you're exhaling, you allow your lips to like do horse lips. Yep. That one can be a little more silly, but that sometimes you need silly. thing about spiritual work is I think that we all think that there's a certain kind of person out there, but some of the funniest, most playful, light people I know are people who've done their spiritual work. It is silly. And you know what? (laughs) This is, we just are so transitory here on this earthly existence. We're just here for a good time, not a long time. So yeah, yeah, lighten that load, make some horse lips, get better. Yep. (laughs) I just made my yoga class do horse lips the other day and it was, it was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Shauna, thank you so much for being here today. Just, you're such a great storyteller and I'm just so honored that you would share your story with my listeners. Um, if anyone wants to find you, get in touch with you, uh, what is your website? Yeah, um, you can reach out to us at uh, World Wide Web Framework uh, You can reach out to us through NorthwestFunctionalNeurology.com. Or if you want to shoot me a line, it's Shauna.Han at Framework FP.com. Frank Peter. Yeah, and I'm happy to hear from you or field any uh, inquiries you have. Amy, thank you so much. I appreciate all the service work that you do. And I, um, yeah, I see the other peace warrior uh, in you that I see in myself. Oh, thank you. That means so much. Um, And just a reminder for anyone listening, we will have a clickable link in the show notes to Shauna's website. So if you would like to learn a little bit more about Shauna or follow what she's up to, you can click through and get in touch with Shauna. And thank you all for listening. I really hope you have enjoyed today's episode. Please do consider leaving a five-star review wherever you're listening to help others on their own wellness journey discover this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day, everyone. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Bye.